The biggest surprise for me Monday in Ohio, Governor Mike DeWine's reopening plan was him letting general office environments restart. I'll be interested to see what others think. It's This Week in the CLE, the podcast from Cleveland.com. I'm Chris Quinn, editor at Cleveland.com with the cast of regulars, Chris Warnowski, Jane Cahoon, and Laura Johnston. Happy Tuesday. Hello. Happy mail-in election day. Yeah. Yeah, it's a big one. We'll have to see how that works. What is Ohio Governor Mike DeWine's plan for reopening Ohio? Some parts manufacturing we expected, others not so much. Before we get to what is opening, Jane Cahoon, let's talk about the rules for the places that are allowed to reopen. Well, there are lots of them. Uh, Wearing masks, for one thing, uh, health assessments of employees, hand washing, uh, cleaning and disinfecting high-touch surfaces, physical distance between employees. Uh, establishing a capacity limit, for example, 50% of what the fire code allows, isolating anybody who gets sick and getting them medical care. And there are other guidelines like no cafeterias or buffets, staggered shifts or staggered lunch hours, and best practices like, you know, try to do curbside pickup when possible, seeing customers by appointment, closing once a week for deep cleaning. Um, The list goes on. No, I actually I miss it. There's no cafe, no workplace cafeterias. Um, I, you know, I don't remember whether that was like a best practice or a mandatory thing, but oh, okay. it was definitely in there. That, yeah, when he said the um, strict capacity limit, I thought that was the first time he said no higher than fifty percent of the fire capacity. When when this all began with grocery stores, and he said we're going to have capacity limits. There was very little direction on that. And there were a lot of complaints by people saying, you know, these places have too many, too many people in them. And I believe yesterday was the first time he said the absolute max is 50 percent of fire capacity. Right. Right. And once again, I'm not sure whether that's absolutely mandatory because they used like, for example, 50 percent in the in the written um, thing that came out with this. So. I guess we'll have to clarify whether it's an absolute mandate or uh, just a suggested thing. Well, the way he said it, I thought it was definitely mandatory. Let's take what's opening chronologically. Starting this Friday, May 1st, what is the governor allowing to happen? Well, we've got health care, non-essential medical procedures uh, that don't require an overnight stay, dental offices, and veterinarians. Then come Monday, a lot more? Yeah, manufacturing, construction, distribution, and general offices. Uh, but businesses um, that have been getting the job done, you know, by working at home should continue to do that. You know, we had a, a really solid story, set of stories last week about the working from home movement. Evan McDonald wrote the lead story. And people in that talked about how productivity had gone up in in this era that people were getting more done at home than they were at the office but you've got to think with the wine opening general offices which are just hits of coronavirus spread that some of the businesses that were consulting with him must not have seen productivity increases they must have seen it go down yeah it makes you wonder i don't know and then you know he creates the problem because daycares are closed if these these general office environments, the law firms and the accounting firms say, okay, you have to come back in. 
what does a parent do? I mean, Laura Johnston, what would you do if tomorrow <laughs> I said, Laura, you got to be in the office? You don't. We're not going mm. back to the office for now. But what would you do? I actually had that discussion with my husband this morning. And I was like, what have they said at your company about this? And he said his boss is is um, is cool with staying home until the kids have a place to go. So I would say, OK, Chris, I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> I suspect that most of these places will give people a choice that that if you know if you're comfortable coming in come in but if you're not not but i'll be fascinated to hear what what people say i mean or we're going to have a bunch of house fires because all these unsupervised kids are going to be <laughs> or you're going to have grandparents that that feel like they have no choice but to step in and help out and these are the people that we're supposed to be protecting mm, yeah that's, that's a, no good that was a real surprise i just didn't i didn't think he was going to open general offices Okay, then come Tuesday, May 12th, all the stores can open, Jane? Yes, all the retail, uh, but they do have to follow all those rules that, you know, you've seen in the grocery store and the, and the big retailers that are that have continued to operate with, you know, the capacity limits, the social distancing, et cetera. There was a lot of buzz about this, that there were, there were people out there that thought this was a mistake, but with with what's happened with grocery stores and Home Depots and Costco's, it's working pretty well. Why not let the smaller shop owners make a living in 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 this era? I, I was a little bit surprised that there were some people that were um, opposing that. What stays closed? A lot of stuff. Uh, schools, restaurants, hair salons, barbers, as you said, daycare centers for both kids and seniors, theaters, gyms, sports uh, venues. Bowling alleys, casinos, zoos, other entertainment facilities, swimming pools, and they're still prohibiting mass gatherings, and people are being asked to to stay at home when possible. Yeah, it's we have a stay-at-home order, except <laughs> when you don't stay at home. The hair salons and barbers had people talking. They're saying, wait a minute, if I go to the dentist, my mouth is wide open I'm breathing out whatever is in there. It's it's you know far more of a intimate kind of thing than a haircut or a or a hairstyling. Why separate those two things out? And Dewine has said that the most common question he gets is, "Why can't I get a haircut?" What 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 did did he talk about that? I don't think he specifically talked about it, but you know, in dental offices, they t would take a lot more precautions than they normally would at a at a hair salon. Although know. they can't because they were asked to turn in all of their masks <laughs> and gloves and now they can't get any more. I think someone did ask DeWine about that and he said they would help them get the proper P PPE. All right. People have been asking about the BMV and libraries. He didn't mention those, but I guess you could argue the BMV is a general office. Do we know anything? Well, we reached out to them yesterday and they told us there was no change to report now, but to that we might want to get back with them later. So I'm not really sure what that means. Uh, the libraries did not seem to be mentioned, but I don't think those are opening yet. I, I saw an email this morning from the Cuyahoga County Library System, you know, kind of reminding people about all their online services. So I don't know, but we, we are asking about these things. With the libraries, I suspect they're worried that with all these kids at home and parents really reaching the end of their patience, the, the kids would flock to the libraries. Laura Johnston, would your well, kids be going to the library? Actually, our library has put out a storybook around the parking lot in their little park. And so I sent my kids there on Saturday to 
uh, read a book while they walked around. So that was nice. But I, I think there's got to be somebody, if we can um, fumigate these masks and protect them, maybe we can fumigate library books and fog them. And, and I don't, I'm not asking for libraries to come back and, and like welcome us all in like cheek to jowl in front, you know, in the stacks, but maybe there's a way that they can just open for appointment or pick up and drop off. And they let the book sit for three days in between to, cause that's how long it lives on the surfaces. I mean, if we're all going to be without education for a long time and in the summer, hopefully they can come up with some safe solution to get materials to people. One big question, of course, is how we will enforce all of these rules. We don't have an army of coronavirus cops after all. How how will we be sure employers are doing the right thing? Well, the governor says he's counting on workers and customers and business owners to report the violators. Uh, you know, if you're an employee and you don't feel like your place is safe, you should speak up and uh, shoppers can report retailers and it's kind of how this has worked so far with with what's open up to this point. But, but he has used the it. term community pressure, but I didn't it say it worked well, Chris. I just yeah, I mean, it. we've heard a lot. Chris Ransky, we've heard from a lot of people who say, you know, my employer is endangering me. What am I supposed to do? And when that question has been asked to John Houston, he says, well, you should report it. But that also puts employees in jeopardy. So, you know, how do you how do you think that works? Well, obviously, they're putting a lot of, you know, good faith in people, you know, essentially whistleblowing and shaming their fellow customers into, you know, making sure that that they're wearing masks and and following social distancing. But, you know, I I feel like anecdotally, you know, at least from my own experience, I, I see a lot of, you know, disproportionate paying attention to these rules already. I, I think. Once you start telling people, yeah, we're relaxing this, I think people are, are you're going to have bad actors out there who are just, who don't care, who still probably think it's not a big deal. And, and so, you know, it's, all of this sort of depends on us. They're putting all of the onus on us. They're not giving any oversight. I mean, limited oversight in the, you know, I mean, what are you going to, you're going to call a hotline and. And they're going to look into it. Like, I, I just, we've only seen a handful of businesses in this county, you know, that have been forced to close. Maybe two, maybe three, officially. And and so, you know, it, it, it's, it just begs the question, like, how many more, how, how many calls have come into, you know, these boards of health where people are saying, like, look, this business is operating in a dangerous way. And what has happened from it? I mean, well, and I, how many and how many employees do they have to send out to investigate? It's like it's not like they're police. And look, you have good examples. Of the, you know, Costco has set up a very, very solid plan for getting people in and out safely. And grocery stores seem to have done it. But I but we I, it just does seem like. Right. And so it's scary. Are, so but, you know, we're we're relying on private business to do the right thing. And I think, you know, it, it, while a lot of businesses will take care, you know, history has kind of shown that, you know, some will try to get around the rules. Some will, you know, try to save money this way or that way. And and it will result in putting people in danger. So, you know, yeah. I, I you know, I wish there were, a, you know, regulators that could go out to every business every day like they do health inspections you know, health inspections, but I, I don't see that happening. Yeah. 
going to have an easier time, you know, enforcing it at the retail places because customers will speak up. The, the people, I think, who are really in the worst position are employees whose employers don't do enough to protect them, but they, they fear for their jobs if they speak up. I don't know, Jane. I was in a Heinen's over the weekend, and there were knots of people, not social distancing, very close together, uh, and some not wearing masks, and there really wasn't anything being done to enforce that. Uh, and then when, when at the checkout, they had the glass, but <laughs> they're handing the bags to you hand to hand. I, I just, I, I'm not sure that it's working the, the way it's supposed to. I couldn't wait to wash my hands after that. <laughs> How does Ohio's reopening plan compare to other states? Well, uh, DeWine's plan is is pretty cautious, especially compared to places like Georgia, where restaurants and salons and retail are already open. Uh, Tennessee is opening just about everything on Friday, and other states that are that are moving more quickly include South Carolina, Montana, Alaska, Oklahoma. Um, I'd like to note here that this this particular thing did not please many of the governor's fellow Republicans in the Ohio House who kind of tried to upstage him before his announcement Monday by by calling for everything to open immediately. And House Speaker Larry Householder issued a, a pretty blistering statement after the governor's announcement saying the administration is is essentially assisting the demise of small businesses that that aren't allowed to open while the larger retailers, you know, have continued to operate. And um, they said, he said, our suggestions have fallen on deaf ears and, and we're being disrespected. Yeah. The weird thing about that is they, they, that, that super conservative branch of the Republicans in the legislature seem to be in the echo chamber of that tiny fraction of the society that's screaming about this. I'm surprised they didn't pay more attention to all of the different polls that came out in the last 48 hours in which the huge majority of Americans support this. Uh, I mean, that, again, they get in that echo chamber, where, you know, where there's 20 people saying, liberty, give me liberty. But the they numbers... also happen to control the purse strings, Chris, so <laughs> don't <laughs> underestimate that. Okay. Yeah, I know. Oh, yeah. But, but if they go down that road... They they put themselves in danger because somebody will run against them that says, you know, these bozos wanted you to get sick. Go ahead, Chris. Well, yeah. So my question is, is if there if there's such a significant concern about small businesses, then, you know, I, I understand that we're talking about state legislators here. But, you know, the conservative Senate, the U.S. Senate their their bailout bills have have really not done small businesses a lot of favor. So like our federal bailout packages have almost almost benefited bigger companies over little companies it, to the surprise of almost no one. So yeah. how is that and how is that a valid argument that yeah, contributing to the death of small businesses when the state the state and the federal government are are doing very little to help them out? Yeah, I think it's a it's a 10-year kind of thing. I don't think they're listening to the constituents. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Do restaurant air conditioners spread the coronavirus? A new case study out of China, published on the CDC website, had some frightening news for anyone contemplating a return to restaurants. Laura Johnston, what is the case study? So 10 people from three different families went to an air-conditioned restaurant in China, and the family sat at three different tables about three feet apart from each other. 
That same day, one patient went to the hospital with a cough and a fever, and less than two weeks later, nine other patients had become ill. But then the other 73 customers at the restaurant that day never got sick. So the people who looked at this speculated it was the air conditioner that caused it, but it wasn't about COVID-19 getting into the restaurant's air circulation system and being spread all over the restaurant, right? Correct. The system did not suck up these tiny respiratory droplets and distribute them. But if the guy with the coronavirus sneezed or coughed, the airflow directed by the air conditioner could have played a role in how the virus traveled from family to family and table to table. The air outlet and the return air inlet were positioned directly above one of the tables where the family was sitting, not the table with the initial patient. It's, a, it's scary because air movement is a pretty core part of buildings and means if I sit anywhere where I can feel the airflow and somebody with COVID-19 sneezes or coughs in that airflow, it's going to spread it much further than the six feet that we always talk about. It sounds like this is a reason not to go to restaurants. Yeah. Remember, these tables were only three feet apart, so they, they didn't follow the six feet apart that we keep hearing about. Researchers recommended increasing distance between tables, improving ventilation. I guess that could mean opening windows rather than air conditioning, although maybe that would have the same effect. Uh, Also to check people's temperatures before letting them inside. If this guy came down that day, he probably was running a temperature while he was there. Although not everybody gets a fever. My daughter had She never had a fever. The number of odd ways you can get this virus just seems to keep increasing. We had the thing a couple of weeks ago where if I run or ride my bike behind you and you cough, I need to be a lot further back than six feet. Now, if I don't want to have air blowing on me because anything between me and the fan can get me sick. Right. One lesson might be not to sit anywhere near an air conditioning vent or maybe just eat outside on a patio because the good news is that I don't know that anyone's been proven to have contracted the disease outside. Um, Or, you know, just get your favorite takeout and eat it at home in the safety of your own dining room. Okay. It's this week in the CLE. What are the new symptoms that the CDC has certified for the coronavirus? The number of symptoms just keeps going up. We started with a fever, a dry cough, and tightness in the chest. Recently, we've talked about blood clots and COVID toes and strokes, although those are not yet official symptoms. Laura Johnston, what has the CDC added to the list? Yeah, we have six new ones. They are chills, repeated shaking with chills, muscle pain, headache, sore throat, and loss of taste or smell. We've also had recent findings that this thing can get into the brain and cause swelling. It could tear up the lining of the small intestine and give people pretty serious abdominal distress. Is any part of the body safe from COVID-19? Who knows? We have a story up today with some fantastic photos of Metro Health doctors and nurses by Josh Gunter. And they told him and reporter Emily Bamforth that they're constantly learning new things about the disease. It's never the same. And our understanding of it is changing every day. But so far, there's no evidence that coronavirus, you know, gives you cavities. (laughs) (laughs) The new information last week about blood clots is frightening, partly because no one can explain it yet. They did autopsies on some people who died, including some younger people. And it's like the opposite of Ebola, which causes people to just bleed out. It was turning their blood into jello. You're really strengthening this idea that the coronavirus is like a scary science fiction movie. Um, The running theory on these unusual cases, I think, is that the body's immune system just goes haywire trying to fight the virus. Okay, you're listening to This Week in the CLE. 
Given what we know about the coronavirus, has it been a mistake to try and ban the use of plastic shopping bags? Cuyahoga County originally planned to be enforcing a ban on one-time-use plastic shopping bags by now, and Giant Eagle had gotten rid of them in their Cuyahoga County stores. But they are back, and the county will not enforce its ban for the entirety of this year. It's all about safety, Chris Wernowski. Apparently, yeah. I uh, I got turned away because I didn't realize they had banned that they had banned them and and went into the store and they said, "Yeah, you can't use those." And I'm the re- like, you're talking about the reusable bags. Yeah, the reusable ones, and it, it kind of made sense. So, uh, so yeah, I I guess we're we're going to be using uh, plastic bags for the foreseeable future because uh, these things are uh are it's they're saying it's the safest thing that we can do right now. The worry is that that if you have the virus, you could put it on your reusable bags and infect all the people. So with all we've learned about hygiene and with the rapidity with new viruses are popping up, should we be reassessing our distaste for the plastic bags? The argument for banning them was about their clogging of our waterways, the waste, the pollution. But we've all learned a lot about the vectors of disease this year. Having sterile plastic bags might be a good idea, right, Laura Johnston? Well, I understand stores' hesitance to allow them right now, although I will say that Aldi is still letting you bring in your bags. Um, It could be just one more way that grocery store checkout clerks could get sick or anyone else that goes to the store. But I think there's got to be a way to combat that. Maybe like the disinfecting wipes that they give you for the carts and the baskets when you walk in. I don't know. We need some kind of innovation because I don't want to go backward on an environmental improvement because of a virus. Plastic is a huge menace all over. But especially in Lake Erie, the U.S. and Canada discard 22 million pounds of plastic annually in the Great Lakes. A lot of it comes flushed down the streets, through the storm drains, into the lake. Fish can eat the plastic. Birds can get caught in it. It's a massive problem that I think we're trying to solve with the yeah, plastic but, bag ban. But is there a different solution? I mean, when the bags were being debated by the county council, did anybody suggest that keeping them to avoid the spread of the disease might be more important than the effort to reduce the waste? and Or did they talk about other options for trying to reduce the waste? I guess what I'm asking is, how did we not foresee this? Did anyone foresee anything about the coronavirus <laughs> other than you, Chris, who saw it in January? I don't, I don't know that I ever heard the argument about limiting um, diseases. It was mostly concentrated on how losing plastic bags would cost grocery trains money uh, but to be fair, the coronavirus didn't exist when this was being debated last fall, although I realize there's been different pandemics in the past. But I-, I never imagined a pandemic like this. Well, the other thing is, will people support this? I mean, there was a lot of divided opinion on this when it happened. There were a lot of people that didn't like this idea. Has ha- Will more people have gone to the side of don't ban the bags because of what we've learned these last three, four months? Honestly, I can see that. And there are so many cities that already opted out, like Strongsville, North Olmsted. I mean, I cannot name them all. There, I, there's probably more cities that opted out of this ban than, than stayed in. And I can see other councils taking that up and this eventually becoming a moot thing if everybody else opted out. Well, and all you have to do if you want to fight it is say coronavirus and everybody's going to get scared. Anyway, I, it'll be interesting to see. It's fascinating. Last year, this debate was hot and heavy. And <laughs> this ban may never actually take effect. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Has the coronavirus convinced people in Ohio to switch to vote by mail elections? 
Governor Mike DeWine and State Health Director Dr. Amy Acton postponed our March primary because of fears it would spread the coronavirus. The all-mail-in election that replaced it ends today. But what do people think about making vote-by-mail permanent? Baldwin-Wallace University asked about this in its latest poll released Monday. Jane Cahoon, what did people say? Well, only 31% of Ohio voters that they surveyed backed an all-mail election, with the rest really preferring something more like the state's current system of a a mixture of in-person voting with with a mail-in option. And it found that 24% prefer in-person voting with with mail voting only allowed by those who provide a valid excuse. I was a little surprised by this because people in the poll so overwhelmingly supported DeWine's handling of the crisis. And I thought they might like the idea of not having to go to polling places, which could be the place where you get sick. But is the voting day ritual just too ingrained to mess with? So so here's my speculation. You know, there are only so many questions you can ask in a poll and so much detail you can get into. This was one question on this poll that simply asked people, what kind of voting system do you prefer? Oh. It didn't specifically ask them, you know, what would you do if the coronavirus resurges in the fall and it's potentially dangerous to go out and vote? I, I think if they had the opportunity to go into more detail with people, they might have uh, gotten a little bit of a different result. The mail-in election has become a real political hot potato. The Republicans don't like it. The poll was being done around the same time that President Donald Trump was very publicly threatening the existence and future of the U.S. Post Office, which some people speculate was to make sure we don't do mail-in voting. Is it possible that people said what they did because they fear we might not have mail in the near future, and so that would end mail-in voting? I suppose that's possible. You know, the president has also said really negative things about mail voting, you know, portraying it as something that's really prone to fraud. And and that put people like Governor Mike DeWine and Secretary of State Frank LaRose, who who are also both Republicans, in, in the awkward position of having to defend Ohio's ability to properly conduct a, an election by mail, which, in fact, they're they're doing today. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. It's this week in the CLE. Did we get any insight Monday into whether Ohio will allow summer camps and baseball games this summer? Laura Johnston, you've been pining away at the thought of your lost summer for months now. Did Governor Mike DeWine offer you any hope when he announced his plans for reopening the state? Not really. DeWine basically said it's too early to make the call. And the most concrete thing he said is that camp operators should be thinking of ways to keep their campers socially distanced and safe. But I, <laughs> which is I ridiculous. Am, which is, yeah, insane. I am not the only one that is thinking like this. I just got an email from someone who has a wedding in July and they're like, please tell me if I can have a wedding. And I think everybody's just like, I just want to know what, what the summer holds. Yeah, I mean, the idea of kids in summer camp being socially distanced is pretty much impossible. As for baseball games, Paul Hoynes had a terrific story last week And the upshot is there's simply no way you can have people attend Indians games and be safe. You might be able to space them out in the seats, but you can't space them out at the entrances or at the concessions. The the people he talked to made it clear it just won't work. Yeah, the experts basically said fans will not be at Progressive Field for at least a year. And if baseball is played any any sort of way, there's going to have to be a culture shift with a plethora of safeguards for players. 
and and this is why I bought a pool, Chris. Okay. <laughs> All right. It's this week in the CLE. Tomorrow on this podcast, we'll take a short break from the coronavirus discussion to spend a few minutes on the results of the election that ends today. Thanks to Jane, Lauren, Chris for the conversation, and thank you for listening. 